Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right. Good morning, beautiful people. This is Nube Brown. I am your host here on Prison Focus Radio on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. So you have often heard me talk about uh, or ask you or encourage you to please go to prisons.org, California Prison Focus's website, and check out the newsletter there, the past issues, also the most current one, 61. But to go there and and educate yourself and uh, just read that newsletter, you can just open up any one and get so much information about what's happening with the prisoners inside um, and I tell you, I ask you to do the same thing with the San Francisco Bayview uh, at uh, sfbayview.com. So today we are going to, uh, I'm going to share with you um, what I discovered uh, going to the Prison Focus website, checking out their, their archives of the newsletter, Prison Focus. So uh, that's what we are going to spend uh, most of the morning uh, listening to is what I discovered in just, you know, random search. And then uh, we are going to listen to Joka Hashima Jinsai talk about strategic release, which is a, uh, a concept that is designed specifically for this group of uh, California political prisoners uh, who have spent decades behind bars, especially those that suffered the decades of uh, the torture of solitary confinement here in California. You've heard me speak about that group of of men and women um, in the Liberate Our Caged Elders campaign. So I will say right here, please call the governor, 916-445-2841, regarding the release of our elders and demand that Governor Newsom release them now. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started with um, what I have discovered in going going to prisons.org and checking out Prison Focus newspaper. All right, this is from issue number 36, winter 2011, on page two, yes, page two. Dear CPF, greetings to all of you unsung heroes and tireless volunteers. The people here extend their fullest solidarity and salutes from the concrete coliseum of cages that is the Corcoran shoe. Your issue number 35 of the CPF newsletter landed with steel-toed spiked shoes in all the places intended and from a conscious mind to the roots and truths of CPF. Thank you. The information was heated and will hopefully wake a prison population of domesticated circus lions up and shock them into remembering something anything about the struggle from which they stem. Let us pray. In an effort at time-saving and expedience, I won't unload an op-ed piece on you. This time, I am simply requesting a copy of your habeas manual and 1983 manual. Enclosed is a full book of stamps. Keep the extra to help with any mailing you may use them for. I'll send you stamps and or money wherever I am able, whenever I am able. It's sad that your work, our work, goes underfunded. Your issue mentioned CURB, um, Californians for uh, United, uh, shoot, sorry, CURB, Californians United for Responsible Budget. Okay, so your issue mentioned CURB being in your close proximity. Who runs that? And do you know 
that current active mandate, any info would be appreciated. All right, I know you good folks are busy and are inundated, so I'll end here. Once again, we appreciate you to the utmost and give you all of our strength and support. Stay strong, never lose faith, and keep the fire of progress and people. Respectfully yours, in freedom and struggle, Kenneth Oliver Corcoran. This was such a gem to find uh, because, again, here we are hearing from the inside people under the, the most stressful situations, abusive, at such an abusive environment, and they are calling on us to stay strong, never lose faith, and keep the fire of progress in people. I just find that remarkable and why I'm always inspired and encouraging you to please, please listen to the prisoners. We must give them voice. Then there's a personal aspect of this too. This was written by Kenneth Oliver. And I, Kenneth, Ken Oliver is out and he is doing amazing things. And he has been on this show before and I will definitely be calling him back. But this was before, he wrote this before my time at California Prison Focus. And so it was just beautiful to, again, just randomly come across this particular piece from him. All right. Right under that is another uh, important notice that uh, the Prison Focus newspaper is saying. And here that comes. Okay, check this out. Important notice. Any article including the present notice, that includes the name of George Jackson, can and will be used by CDCR, herein referred to as CDC, as one of the three points used to validate prisoners as BGF gang members. See our letter to the CDC complaining about this and their response on page 18. The cops claim that if an issue of prison focus contains any George Jackson material, that part of the newspaper kept by the prisoner may be used for validation purposes. In other words, prisoners who want to make sure that our newsletter does not constitute evidence to validate them as a gang member are being instructed by CDC to throw that part of the newsletter away. We are leaving it up to the prisoners to decide what to do, but CPF wants to make everyone aware of what the CDC is up to. In this issue, the name of George Jackson was mentioned in the exchange of correspondence between CPF and CDC on page 18, in two of, of the book reports on page 22, and in one of the letters on page 2, and in the Maryland Buck piece on page 10. The outlawing of the use of this name is reminiscent of the Israeli government who passed a law making it a crime for Palestinians to fly the Palestinian Palestine flag or even to wear or show the colors of their flag. That outrageous law was violated so often and in so many ways that the Israeli government had to stop enforcing it. Let's take a moment to think about that. This is an issue from 2011. That is 10 years ago. People have since fought against and won this uh, arbitrary gang um, validation. 
But people were literally thrown in the hole and retaliated against because simply if they had a book by George Jackson, uh, his name obviously here, his name showing up somewhere. This is what is is and has been going on um, in our prisons. Just being able to arbitrarily validate somebody uh, based on a book, based on a tattoo. Um, this is such a gross human rights violation. I don't know what to say. And uh, I think we should be continually aware of it. I am going to now read another, I'm going to read a piece, um, another letter uh, that came through. Again, all of this is on page two. All right, before I read this letter, I do need to mention that this, uh, this issue was uh, published at a time that Ed Mead was the editor at the time. And he often would, uh, would publish his responses to uh, some of the prisoner letters. The current editor and assistant editor of Prison Focus newspaper now are Kim Pollock and Watani Steiner, respectively. So here we go. Dear CPF, I greatly appreciate your concerns as well as the generosity in forwarding your newsletters. But with all due respect, please do not send me any more of them. Just last night, I received your number 36 summer 2010 issue. And as soon as I opened its pages, I was hit dead small in the face with the same exact literature that was used to validate me with. That's, I'm sorry. So I made a mistake also. Uh, this is issue number 36, and um, he is correct. It is the summer of 2010. So let me start again with, this is the summer 22 issue, and as soon as I opened up its pages, I was hit dead small in the face with the same exact literature that was used to validate me with. The interview with George Jackson, May 16th and June 29th, 1971. My advice to you guys is for you to stop putting things of the such in your newsletter. I read where Voodoo said that receiving your newsletter got him validated. I understand that you're only trying to help people, but you need to understand yourself that including this type of material in your papers does not help to bring injustice to an end. It's only helping to get individuals caught up. Though you've placed your own piece inside it stating your non-involvement to promote and or support any types of gang activities... To CSP, IGI, SSU, and OCS, it means nothing to them. These are these groups of guards and uh, groups of, yeah, they're groups of um, cops, which are just guards inside um, that uh, have the ability to uh, just gang validate you as if, they, you know, this is a court of law. You, as well as everyone else, knows why they're validating practically the entire California prison population. It's to gain full control and to break the mind, strength, and the spirit of the strong. I won't sit here and mislead you or other readers. I've been broken, but I've been broken in a different kind of way. You see, I've been in prison 16 years now, and from day one up till April 2010, my name and status as a solid individual have never been questioned, compromised, or challenged for I carried myself accordingly throughout my time. As of now, I've been in Calipatria's ASU, it's an um, administrative segregation unit, for over two years due to being validated and awaiting my transfer up to Pelican Bay Shoe. I'm an inmate with a release date for some time this year, 2010. 
that release date was stripped and taken from me because a new law took effect on January 25th, 2010, stating that all California inmates validated with the release are to be placed from D1 status to D2 status, which is a non-credit earning status. I came in as a juvenile, sentenced under the Halftime Act. All in all, I have 10 years left on my max. So by my being validated and because of the new law taking effect, I was placed in a position to where I was going to have to do four to 10 more years extra in prison. Taking this fact into consideration, as well as the fact that I have a wife and daughter who need me, who's been there for me and who would have had to do that extra time with me, I weighed my options. I want to read that phrase again. I weighed my options and chose to sacrifice for my family. I choose them over doing that extra time and in a dungeon at that, which is to say that I dropped out of the gang. I am no longer affiliated. I have been broken, y'all, and I'm not proud of it. And I need to just say here, when he says I dropped out of the gang, that means he had to snitch on somebody. Because that is the only way that the CDC small R system and these gangs, these IGI and SSU and CSP and OCS, that's the only way that they are going to uh, take away your gang validation. It has nothing to do with any of your behavior or that you may not even be affiliated with a gang, but they have affiliated you and they can affiliate you. Once again, I'll go back to the book. They can affiliate you just by a book. But most of the time, they are asking you to become a snitch, a rat against somebody else. So I will start this again. So this is, okay, sorry. So this is a just a disgusting abuse of power over people to cause them uh, to, to make these horrible decisions. And this is what's happening inside of our prisons. Yes, this was 10 years ago. This is still happening. I'm sorry to those I've let down, but I don't regret my actions for I am finally on my way home to my family to my sickly grandmother who's holding on so she can see me at least one more time. So I would say that I am now considered a PC, protective custody. Yet I will tell you that I've never ran from anyone or anything in prison and I'm not doing so now. I don't ask for protective custody. Yet we all know that in the eyes of the administration to show your non-activeness and non-participation in gang activity or any type of activity that they oppose means you must embarrass, humiliate, and disgrace yourself. And for those I know in my heart and who have shown with action as well as patience and endurance that they love me and are there for me. I openly accept my humiliation and embarrassment for them. I don't dislike those who hate me over the situation for I vow to redeem myself through getting out and being a righteous husband and father to my wife and daughter, as well as being a productive individual to the community in need. And this is Ed's response. This is his note. If we stop printing material by or about George Jackson, the terrorists win. That's a joke, sort of. 
You admit to letting people down, to being embarrassed, humiliated, and disgraced by your captors. Debriefing is a nice-sounding word that means ratting on your former comrades. I support those who choose to drop out of gangs, but to do so at the expense of others is naked self-interest in the worst sense. Drop out if you wish, but don't involve the cops in the process. That exchange says so much about the incredible pressure that people are under, that is created, that is put on them to be in prison. This has nothing to do with their sentencing. This has nothing to do with whatever crime they committed. This is just about punishing and breaking and like the guy said, just humiliating and embarrassing people. And this makes people incredibly vulnerable. This makes them unsafe. It makes their families unsafe. It is, it's dividing people. Um, it's making them have to, to lose their integrity. And questioning their own values and sense of self. This is why we must abolish prisons now and do everything we can. This is, a not, uh, this is not about helping to make people whole by any stretch of the imagination. It makes people unsafe. Um, prisons in, in America are a crime against humanity. Okay. I encourage you to dig into um, issue number 36, and you can also find out more about gang validation. Uh, the prisoners write about it way more eloquently than I will be able to speak on it. I'm going to move now to issue number 37, because coming up in July will be the 10th anniversary or 10th commemoration of the first hunger strike that was organized by the prisoners inside by the PBSP Shoe Short Corridor. PBSP is the Pelican Bay State Prison SHU Security Housing Unit Short Corridor um, hunger, um, hunger Strikers. So I am going to read the five core demands because in uh, July we are going to be commemorating that, but I want you to hear what it is that they were asking for. The five core demands are Individual accountability. This is in response to PBSP's application of, quote, group punishment as a means to address individual inmates' rule violations. This includes the administration's abusive pretextual use of safety and concern to justify what are unnecessary, unnecessary punitive acts. This policy has been applied in the context of justifying indefinite shoe status and progressively restricting our programming and privileges. Two, abolishing the debriefing policy and modify active-inactive gang status criteria. The debriefing policy is illegal and redundant. And as pointed out in the formal complaint, the active-inactive gang status criteria must be modified in order to comply with the state law and applicable CDC rules and regulations. Okay, I'm going to go on with three. Comply with U.S. Commission 2006 recommendations regarding an end to long-term solitary confinement. CDCR shall implement the findings and recommendations of the U.S. Commission on Safety and Abuse in America's Prisons' final 2006 report regarding CDCR SHU facilities. And the, uh, 
th- some things that they are asking as, as follows. Um, end conditions of isolation, make segregation a last resort, end long-term solitary confinement, provide shoe inmates immediate, meaningful access to natural sunlight, quality health care and treatment. I mean, come on. Number four, provide adequate food. Really? Okay. Expand Five, expand and provide constructive programming and privileges for indefinite shoe status inmates. They are not asking for anything unreasonable. It ends with this note. The okay. Uh, let, me, uh, let me. Sorry. Let me just go back down here for a second because expand and provide constructive programming and privileges for indefinite shoe status inmates. Ex, a expand visiting. Okay. Allow B. Allow one photo per year. Allow a weekly phone call. Allow two annual packages per year. Um, expand canteen and packages items that are allowed. Uh, more TV channels, not just these numbing ones. Allow TV radio combinations or TV and small battery operated radio. Allow hobby craft items. Allow sweatsuits and watch caps. Allow wall calendars. Um, instant pull-up dip bars. Allow correspondence courses that require um, uh, proctored exams. Note. The above examples of programs privileges are all similar to what is allowed in other supermax prisons. For example, the federal Florence, Colorado, and Ohio, which supports our position that CDCR, PBSP staff claims that such are a threat to safety and security are exaggerations. This is from Danny Troxel, Todd Ashker, Setawa Nantambu Jama'a, and uh, Arturo Castellanos, and George Franco all of who are still imprisoned after spending decades in solitary confinement and also um, uh, organizing the first of three hunger strikes that finally in- ended indefinite solitary confinement. Free our elders now, 916-445-2841. Please call the governor. Again, stay tuned for um, commemorating events uh, to, again, commemorate the first hunger strike of July 1st, starting July 1st of 2011. All right, we are going to take a quick musical break and come back with Joka Hashima Jinsai.
If you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I am your host, Nube Brown, and you have been, uh, we have been uh, reading from the Prison Focus newspaper, issue number 36, and uh, I read from page two, a lot from page two, also, I believe, uh, page 19, and I encourage you to read more. And finally, um, issue number 37, reading the five core demands that the California hunger strikers had to, um, that they were going on hunger strike for, for their first of three hunger strikes that eventually ended solitary, indefinite solitary confinement. And you can find that again on issue 37 um, on page eight. We are now going to listen to Joka Shima Jinsai on the strategic release concept. But I have here with me Hashima. I would love for you, Hashima, to please tell us about the strategic release concept, please. And introduce who you are, please. My name is Joka Shima Jinsai. I'm the founder of the May 13th, Boston Slavery in the American Movement and the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission. The concept of strategic release was developed by Abdul Olubalashi Corps almost 20 years ago. Uh, the original concept was developed for new active political prisoners and progressives in the state of California. Um, the concept was expanded when me and the comrade uh, were housed together in solitary confinement. 
one must have 25 years or more of continuous confinement. The purpose for that is, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, those who have served 25 years or more or are 50 years or older have a 0.015% recidivism rate, meaning they simply do not reoffend. If you're talking about the strategic release class, that class of prisoner are those who have a proven record over the course of decades of service to their communities from behind the walls. The reason that is such a vital component of the strategic release initiative is it has been our experience that what you do here is what you're going to do when you get out. If you are in the concentration camp anywhere in America, and your daily activities uh, revolve around sidewalk escapism, petty hustling, uh, uh, criminal code brutality. Regardless of what you say out your mouth nine times out of ten, that's what you're going to do when you get out. When you got pimps that can write good, you got thugs who can speak eloquent. But it is your daily activities, what you do, not what you say, which matters to those prisoners of the strategic release class. If you are a member of the strategic release class, you have a proven record of service to the community from behind these walls. Uh, for example, um, just pick a guy out, out, out at random. Let's say, oh, Brother Abdul. Brother Abdul developed the George Jackson University almost 30 years ago. He developed the concept of New African Criminology 101, the perspective of criminology from the New African prisoner perspective. The reason why that's so vitally important to criminology today is look at the statistics. Black people in America represent approximately 12% of this nation's population, but we account for almost 40% of the prison population. That is disproportionate. It's disproportionate not merely because of racism. It's disproportionate because the national policies surrounding criminology, policing, uh, uh, judicial machinery are specifically designed to treat people from our communities different than others. So that's a, that's incorrect because the very science or criminology upon which the judicial machinery in the U.S. is based is biased. It does not take into account distinctive factors of each offender. For example, and I'm, I'm, I'm I'm really stating this so you can get a genuine understanding of the value of strategic relief. If you have an offender who commits a robbery, if that offender is a drug addict and his primary motivation for stealing is to uh, assuage his addiction, and then you have a father who has been laid off, he cannot get unemployment benefits for whatever reason. Or maybe he's got those employment benefits and Bank of America simply just don't want to release the funds. His power has been cut off. His family's cold, hungry, and he goes out to commit a robbery. Then you have a guy who commits a robbery simply from for personal gratification because he's greedy and he wants to steal from somebody. All three of those are distinct motivational factors with distinct social perspectives. The way justice views each one of those individuals should reflect those distinctive factors. It doesn't. If he was every last one of them, it's simply a robber. That's incorrect. From the perspective of African criminology, from the perspective of 
drugs is no problem with that. But if one of those offenders is black and one of those offenders is white, that's when justice ceases to be blind. That's when that veil that shrouds justice's eyes lifts up and they see that black skin and they're going to track, hunt, capture, try, convict, and sentence that black person completely different than this white counterpart. That's a contradiction. That contradiction is exposed by the science of the African Criminology 101. This brother developed that science. The other standard of strategic release, which is of vital importance, is community-based parole, pardon, and clemency review boards. The concept of strategic release and the concept of community-based parole, pardon, and clemency review boards are interconnected. This is why it's so important. Who is the greatest stakeholder in determining who comes back to the community? The current composition of parole boards being on the federal or state level are district attorneys, law enforcement, prison guards, former wardens, people who are actively engaged in the prison industrial slave complex. They have a vested interest in maintaining high incarceration rates. Why? Because the number of criminal offenders under their control given under in any period of time will determine the amount of money they get from the general fund, be it state or federal. The amount of money that a particular prison industrialist or prison industry gets from state and federal funds will determine how much money they take home at the end of the day. They have an economic interest to maintain high incarceration rates. But they ain't got to live next door to that brother or sister who's being released. That's Ms. Maitland. That's you. That's Brother John. That's Sister Ness. They got to live next door to them. The greatest stakeholder in who is released and when they are released is the community itself. The parole board's primary composition should be those from the community that that particular offender is going to return to. The concept of strategic release states the community demands the release of these specific prisoners. Because their release will have, this brings us to the last point of strategic release, a positive impact on the development of that community. We're talking about a crisis in leadership in communities across this nation. We speak of underclass and poor communities. That crisis in leadership can be assaged by the strategic release initiative. You're talking about brothers and sisters who have given their life to the people have demonstrated every single day over the course of decades. Take myself for instance. I don't do anything else in this cell but determine ways that I can help the people. Nothing else. We study and work all day, every day. Nothing else matters to me. Whether I'm released or not, this ain't gonna change. Why? Because this is who and what I am. Every single member of the strategic release class is no different. You're talking about brothers and sisters who have given their lives to the people. The concept of strategic release states those released on strategic release have dedicated themselves to serving the community into perpetuity.
that means your release is predicated upon your service to the community forever. We don't retire. We don't get out working some community uh, uh, development organization for a couple of years, go on to something else. No, our lives belong to the people. And because we have dedicated our lives to the people, we should receive the ultimate in social justice. And that is being there in the community to serve. Physically present with our people. That's pretty much strategic release in a nutshell. Okay, well, that's incredibly powerful. Okay. I'm, I'm going to ask if you would be willing to, to share with us, um, it's kind of a, it's a rhetorical question, but um, in terms of who qualifies, uh, why do you, why, for, just take you and Abdul, for instance, um, both of you have been uh, denied parole how many times have you been denied parole? I guess that's the first Twice. question. Twice. Twice. And, and Abdul? Uh, at least four times. Okay. He was just denied another five years. Uh, okay. Why is that happening? Which, what, 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 yeah, why is the denial of parole happening? This is what you have to understand about the strategic release class. Mm-hmm. Our work product is in diametric opposition to the PISC. It's in diametric opposition to the Interstate Prison Industrial Slave Complex. Right. You have guys who are being released who are former, uh, anyway, I'm going to set that aside. Okay. Primary reason why men like myself, men like Abdullah are not parole is because they found more guys like us on the street. <laughs> um, there's a reason for that. When we released from solitary confinement in 2015, and we came to the general population, it was it's almost like a, the best way I can describe it is uh, Rip Van Winkle waking up, in my case 20 years later, in Conrad's case 32 and a half years later, and the entire world has changed. Um, these brothers and sisters, I mean these brothers uh, on these main lines, and the sisters we encountered in, in, in uh, interactions with the community were so different in terms of their social or ideological perspective that it's almost unrecognizable. Um, they were engaged in uh, a degree of drug use we, we've never ever took into consideration. Um, it's one thing to understand something intellectually and something completely different to understand something practically by social experience. Um, what we saw was our people in trouble. Of course, so we did what we normally do, what we've done since we made ideological political transformation ourselves. We began to serve the people, began to educate, organize, seek to mobilize. As we did so, conditions on these main lines changed. These brothers began to see the value of unity and act in accordance with now, it's just to say that we've completely transformed the man around we are. No. Have we made it progressively better by our presence, by our activities, by our interaction with these brothers? Of course. No doubt. And I don't think anyone in 
everybody here would disagree with that. Um, so I said that to say this. Prison industrialists, and I'm talking about your basic prison guard, they watch the same way we do. They see this. This is a threat. If you teach these brothers to get out and stay out, guess what happens? It is an inescapable order of operation. The number of prisoners under their control at any given time determines the amount of money that's getting that, that they get from the general fund. The current budget for the California Department of Corrections is $12.6 billion with a B. Now, that's more than a lot of countries' gross domestic product. It's how much money the whole country makes in a year. Now, the starting pay for a prison guard in the state of California is $72,000 with benefits. The vast majority of prison guards in the state of California work overtime. With overtime, they cleared $100,000 a year. They have the most powerful lobbying force in the state in the California Correctional Peace Officers Association to ensure that they continue to have these exorbitant budgets. But these exorbitant budgets must have a foundation. That foundation is the number of prisons that's locked up in the state of California. California has more prisons, more prisons than any other state in this nation. That's not by chance I have a stand. Prison guards in the state of California are the most high paid in the entire nation. That's not by chance I have a stand. That's by design. They develop a racket. That racket has a commodity. That commodity is human beings. Us. So, if you are talking about the strategic release class, those prisoners who have a proven record of service to the community, no, they don't want us out there. We're the type of dudes that if we are released, we, we will strike at the origins of crime. Remember this. The whole purpose of, I'm just going to pull an example out of the sky. The entire purpose of Science Criminology 101 is to transform the new African criminal mentality into a new African progressive mentality. The entire premise of the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission is to make our communities completely and solely reliant on themselves to liberate us from the very foundations, the very origins of crime, which is the disproportionate distribution of wealth, privilege, and opportunity in this society by creating our own institutions for wealth, our own institutions for education, our own institutions for food sovereignty, our own institutions for technological development. That's the purpose of the aim. What makes you think that a prison industry would want men like us who will close the school, the poverty, the prisons, pipeline at its source are communities back in the community. They don't want that. That's a contradiction. It's diametrically opposed to their interest. Of course they're going to deny us parole on the most spurious basis. I'll give you an example. When my comrade Abdul went to parole board, they, they developed what's called a psych report. The psych report stated that the comrade was level-headed highly intelligent very reasonable in the next three pages they tried to paint the brother like he was a, 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 a criminal mastermind it was an absolute contradiction in the same document I'm like am I reading this right I mean I'm, am I being pumped 
is, is, is am I, I just walked through the, am I entering the twilight zone? When he went into the parole board, the board governor said, you have everything you need to be paroled right now. They denied it five years. That is a contradiction. That contradiction is obvious. When we say these things, oftentimes uh, uh, the people who, who simply have no personal experience with the system, for lack of a better term, they find it hard to believe that these institutions that they have invested so much trust in would be engaged in such overt corruption. Well, they are. Let me get this straight. So everyone who's listening to me right now can have a genuine understanding of what I'm talking about. Your system is corrupt. It is corrupted as the very foundations. Slavery is legal. Human bondage in America has been monetized. Never stop being monetized. From the quote-unquote uh, Emancipation Proclamation from this white supremacist Abraham Lincoln who didn't emancipate nothing to the convict lease system to the current stage of mass incarceration we in right now. Legal slavery ain't never stopped in this country. This is the reason the Minute 13 was created in the first place. To abolish legal slavery in America. Strategic release is one of its core tenets. Strategic release seeks to undermine the very basis of mass incarceration in America by striking at its root the contradictions which exist in our community. Those contradictions continue to exist and are perpetuated because we do not have the leadership we need in our communities now. We need Sunni Abdul-Khali on the street. We need Mumi Abu-Jamal on the street. We need Abdul-Abal Shakur on the street. We need Paul Jones on the street. We need Ifuna on the street. We need Lewis Powell on the street. They don't need to be in here. We need Sundiata Juwanza on the street. We need Reverend Joy on the street. They don't need to be in here. They are not criminals. Their continued confinement to souls serves no interest at all other than the interest of the state. How can anyone look at our objective work product and state we are criminals? How can anyone look at our objective work product and state we are not rehabilitated? Look at the work of Sitawa Nantambu Juma. Look at the work of Russell Maroon Schultz. Read Concrete Scholars. The book by myself and Abdul Shakur. Look at all of the members of the strategic release classes work product. Look at the work of Sunni Dr. Matulu Shakur. How can we look at the work product of these brothers and sisters and state they're, they're criminals? It's absolutely insane. But strategic release has one foundation, and it is the very primary premise of the entire nation. The people demand their release, not the state. If this genuinely and truly is a nation, other people, for the people, by the people, like their rhetoric claims it is, they should embrace strategic release as the 
highest form of social restitution. You are talking about a class of brothers and sisters who have absolutely no threat to the community, which is established by the very first uh, qualification for strategic release. But not only that, a class of people, a class of prisoners, who have dedicated their lives to serving the community into perpetuity forever until they're dead. And their legacy will live on long after them. How do you keep behind these walls? How do you keep behind these walls? This brother's supposed to be on the street. Yep. It is. It's not. We and we. Thank you, thank you. I mean, really, it comes into our the the power of the people. We have to make the decision. We have to be able to come together and be intolerant of this. Exactly. And we have. I mean, so much of what you're saying, of course, um, is of uh, and rightly so is also reminiscent of the Black Panther Party, which we know was destroyed by the state. Well, almost, just almost destroyed by the state, right? For the very reasons that we're talking about here. I mean, you're just living, I feel like you're just living history, um, but it really is all power to the people. And thank you so much for, for saying that, that, that um, it is, it's up to us working together. Go ahead. If I can, I want to make, I want to add one thing. And this really is vitally important. Please. To why everyone, should support strategic release. The strategic release class of prisons is a unique class of prison. But I want you to consider this. Those brothers and sisters who are currently inside these concentration camps with no hope of getting out, and they were to see members of the strategic release class being released, it would serve as an incentive for them to transform their own core psychology. Mm to begin serving their communities from behind these walls, to abandon the criminal thug mentality and embrace a progressive mentality because now they see that as a vehicle for release. The process of transformation will change that motivation from simply wanting to get out to serving the people. Mm. Absolutely. Strategic release is multi-purpose. Mm -hmm. Right. I love that personal transformation aspect of it. It's like the it's it's the education, it's the self education part that if I'm understanding you correctly, that's yeah. that's so important. Um, again, a, a a foundational tenet of the Black Panther Party's Platform. Education. You have to educate the self. Thank you so much, Hishima. Um, the, the work that you and others around strategic release and, like you said, the foundational tenet of it, um, personal transformation, is uh, stunning. And I appreciate you answering my rhetorical questions because, again, I think that this is really a... Um, you know, it's a process for us out here because we are trying to, to get educated and I think we just, we need to hear it and others need to hear it time and time again um, in such clear and eloquent uh, uh, 
uh, expression that you always bring. Thank you so much. You are always, my sister, always. Okay. All right, and uh, we will talk again soon. Please, you know, continue to just stay strong as you are, um, and know that uh, yeah, that you are loved and appreciated out here. Michelle, sister, saying what I do, this is more what I am. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I feel bad. All, All right, right. peace to you, brother. We'll talk soon. Peace and power. Okay, peace and power. All right, here is a poem by James Baridi Williamson. He is one of the hunger strikers, um, one of this strategic uh, release class prisoners, um, and uh, again, who suffered and has survived the torture of decades of solitary confinement and is still a beautiful, beautiful human being and is still caged and an elder and who we want out. This poem was intended to be um, in last, uh, it's San Francisco Bayview's last issue, uh, this issue, excuse me, April. Um, we were not able to get it in, but um, I happened to be on the phone with him and he read this poem to me and I'm going to share it with you. Power to the people. In oppression, resistance is right. In struggle, we learn to fight. In resistance, we find the light. In humanity, we sleep at night. All right, people, that is our show. Please call the governor. Please stay informed about these elders, this group of people, this group of men that are behind the walls. We must not forget about them. We must not let all of the work that they have done be in vain. They put their lives on the line. They, they have so much to teach us. We need to make sure that they are out here. Do not forget about them. Call the governor, 916-445-2841. Reach out to me, nube at sfbayview.com. Please read the Prison Focus newspaper archives at prisons.org. Read the sfbayview.com at, um, at sfbayview.com. Read the issues there. Please stay informed. Stay together. All power to the people and act in loving humanity. Ubuntu. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. <laughs>